Welcome back, everybody. And of course, thank you for spending this time with us. We have an inspirational guest sharing a very personal story to all of our listeners today. Today, we have Robbie Poppy on the podcast, and she is sharing her story on acknowledging, identifying, and her resiliency in getting out of a narcissistic marriage. Now, with that being said, I'm sure you can understand that this topic may be sensitive for some and could trigger some negative emotion, and we want to be forthcoming with that. But the intention of this is, again, the awareness piece. And although Robbie isn't a narcissism expert, because she's lived it and her expertise in personal growth, mindset, and leadership, she is able to give us some pivotal tools in the awareness piece and then how to gain support during this time. Again, this is a personal journey and it's really a story of resiliency and how she has overcome this, but how such a powerful, strong, independent, successful woman can also be blindsided by love because so much of what we want in life is love and to be loved. And so sometimes we think, oh, it can never happen to us, but it does, right? So without going into too much detail on the story, of course, this is her story to share. I do want to extend an additional introduction into Robbie by telling you that she is not just a 54-year-old executive. She is fit, fabulous, and she is so much fun. Robbie is a single mother of a 15-year-old daughter, Samantha, who just began her sophomore year at the High School for Performing and Visual Arts, where she is focused on becoming a classical opera singer. You guys, she just went to Sydney to perform and I heard it was incredible. Robbie says with all she's accomplished in her 54 years, she is most proud of her beautiful, confident, courageous, smart, and talented daughter. Robbie is a senior executive of a 26,000 employee company based in Houston that owns funeral homes and cemeteries. That's how I met her and she's been there for 28 years. She graduated from Baylor University and also went on to get her CPA license. Robbie sits on two industry board of directors and is an advisor to the Baylor Women's Association Board in Houston. When Robbie isn't working out, working her day job, or raising her daughter, she works as an assistant trainer for Discover Leadership Training, where she helps adults and kids create a better vision for themselves. She also does public speaking engagements focused on empowering women to make better choices. She chooses to have a positive attitude and to be a positive role model to everyone in her life. Robbie's favorite quote is, winners lose a lot more often than losers lose. She challenges herself and everyone around her to get off the sidelines and get out of their comfort zone and get into the game. Robbie is such an inspiration. She has been a mentor of mine, both at a personal level and from a distance. And I am thrilled that she was able to share this time with our listeners. Now, during this interview, when you hear this, that isn't us bleeping out any curse words. We know this is a safe zone for speaking freely. That is only us censoring the name of the individual of discussion just to make sure that their identity is anonymous during this time. So without further ado, here is our interview with Robbie. Welcome to the Art of Getting Your Shit Together podcast, where each week we help you identify the bullshit that's holding you back and discover the courage to take action to create a life you love and enjoy. Robbie, welcome to the Art of Getting Your Shit Together podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And something that wasn't mentioned in your bio was that at 50, you got on a competition stage uh, in a bikini. I did, you guys. And I did it like 10 more times. I couldn't get enough of it the first time. And I didn't know what I was doing. And what I'm telling you is there's a recipe for everything. If you do what they say, eat this, don't eat that, do this, you can do it too. Once I made a commitment to be on stage in a bikini, whatever, 19 weeks later, I did it. And you were there. I was there. I got to fly into (laughs) Houston and see it. And it was such a privilege because I I saw also the the preparation that you did and the dedication and... I got to kind of follow follow you along in that journey, and it was just incredible and inspiring. Tammy and and all of us in the office were like, 
God, we gotta we gotta step it up. Robbie's like killing it over here. <laughs> it was fun, and it was my for, you know sort of first step into my fitness journey, uh, eating, and 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 so I've kept up with all the ancillary things for the most part. Haven't the body fat isn't quite as low, <laughs> but I could even do a whole podcast on that. But there's enough of that out there, right? Lots of people are into fitness and health and eating, so. Well, you have a special message for us today to share a personal story um, that I know our listeners are going to get a lot of value in and um, probably so many women need just to hear your story and hear the message. And and I know they're going to resonate with it because your story is unique, but you're not you weren't the only one. Other people have gone through similar situations or living it currently. No doubt. And, I, and I'll tell you, when I was in it, there was. I can see it now, but it was a sense of shame. And what I really want that, especially the ladies and certainly there's narcissists on both sides of this, there's bad people we get involved with. So it's not just the women who get involved with narcissistic men, which is what happened to me. There's also men that had the same situation with women. And if, if I can get them to get past whatever shame the conversation is creating in that moment and, and empower themselves to get out, I eventually did it, but it took me so damn long. And I, and now that I've had a lot of time to reflect, I have lots of thoughts on it. So that's why I really want to cover the topic of it would be, I married a narcissist and why? Why did I do that? And I never even, I heard the word narcissist. If you look online, there's tons of information about it. But what did it mean to me? My experience was that my ex-husband had no conscience. Okay. Some narcissists are very sociopathic, not like the killing kind, but they tend to walk around without the sense of values and moral compass that I have, that you may have. Right. Um, And so there was no conscience. And so as I started getting into fights or altercations with him, I can't reason with someone who's never reasonable. And so that was sort of what ended up happening. But here's here's my story. with, And I found two or three other card-carrying narcissists since then. So I'll give you some red flags. But I met him and at a gym. He was my personal trainer. Yeah, I'm living that life. And, <laughs> you know, don't judge me. But anyway, so I'm working out. And uh, he was high energy, a lot of fun. And I'm a strong Christian. And it's important. My faith's important to me my faith in Jesus Christ and what I believe about all that. Not everyone has to do that. But over the months that I was working out with him, he told me his salvation story, which basically to non-Christians just mean he had a moment where he had a dynamic conversation with someone that led him on a path that was way better in at least uh, morally than he had been on. And so I was so intrigued. He looked nothing, acted nothing like what I had dated before full of tattoos, um, but I didn't judge that once he told me about this Christian values. And what I, so let me just pause the story there and say what he was doing was mirroring my values. There's a narcissistic tool that maybe they don't know what it's called, but it's called mirroring. And what he did was over the first several months, he learned what was important to me. And once he got in my head and figured that out, I allowed him then to bring that back to me. He knew in Christianity was important. Oh, I had this dynamic salvation experience. He knew being positive was important to me. He was a very positive person. He knew being on time was important to me. He'd be at 5 a.m. at my workouts and um, and all that eventually stopped. But it's called mirroring. Well, I didn't notice it. I wanted to be in love so badly, y'all. This was actually my second marriage. My first marriage is a wonderful man who decided that he liked men better than women. So he is having his own life and his own life sort of crisis. But so I thought, you know, I want to find love. I want to find someone who will be my person. And all of a sudden he was becoming that and he was mirroring me. So women, it is so easy if I, all I want to do is convince you to like me and convince you to marry me and I have no conscience about it, I'll do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a bunch of scammers online who do the same thing. And they're, in fact, some big ring in Nigeria just got busted today because they were scamming women on dating sites. And they're not narcissistic. They just play the game because they don't care because it's a, it's a job for them. But my point is, if it's too good to be true, 
It absolutely is. Okay, this is what happened to me. He was just perfect. He was everything I have ever wanted. However, he didn't have any money. And I say no money, y'all. He had the crappiest apartment near University of Houston that you'd ever want to see. And I knew better. Here I am driving around my brand new little Mercedes. I paid off with cash, you know, and I'm excited about my life. And I'm 10 years older. And I see where he lives. And why that wasn't a red flag to me, I don't know. But he was continuing to love me and, and mirror my values and, and just dote on me and, and be this person that I, I was just shocked that I could find a man that was so perfect and great. But this crappy apartment and really needed to live with me. So next thing that I realized is I was confusing love with pity. Mm. Don't. So confusing love with pity. This is one of those moments that, gosh, it's easy to see when I'm clear headed and I'm out of the situation, but I felt sorry for him, but I was already in love with him. And I was in love with him because he created a situation that was impossible for me not to love him. So kind of fast forward, he's created a connection with me. And now I have these, I remember these conversations of how do I keep him? How do I keep him? How do I get him to keep liking me? So there were moments when I would feel like, oh, he hasn't called me today or he hasn't texted me. Oh, God, what if he doesn't like me? I mean, I was in this crazy low self-worth. I had to have him now. Because he was making me feel, this, I'm sure it was endorphins and dopamine and all the stuff that happens in those moments. And I was hot. So at that point, he could almost do anything he wanted to me. He could treat me in any way that he wanted. And that's exactly what happened. And so I stayed with him when certain things occurred. And I'm going to describe those to you in a moment. But if I step back and I say, why, was, why did this happen? So I, I have a belief system. We all have a belief system. And that belief system is created by every experience that's ever happened in our lives. I call it our map. So my map of the world, and y'all can't see my hands just flying around here, but my map of the world <laughs> is created by my upbringing. My dad was a colonel in the Air Force. I mean, all my life. He was bigger than life. He wore a uniform. Uh, I was scared of him in a you know, healthy way, but he created a side of me. And my mom has what Oprah calls the please disease. Have y'all heard her say that? Yes. Yeah. I have it. Oh, I have it in spades. So I had this please disease. So, so all of this belief system that was created within my map. So I was crazy self-confident for my dad. And I was this crazy pleaser for my mom. And when saw this, he sort of pounced on it. And so I was raised to believe I'm, I need, I want people to like me. I want you to like me. So that's part of it as well. It's not, and I'm going to talk a lot about boundaries, but it wasn't like I didn't have boundaries, but that I wasn't strong enough to get over my fear of not being liked. Mm-hmm. So that was my fear of not being liked. And so we are raised to believe certain things. So People often wear things. So I, I, I believe the two most powerful words in the English language are I am, because it means you're committed, right? You own whatever comes after I am. So I think the three of us on the podcast today would say, I am self-confident, right? I am courageous because you ladies are doing something that I don't have the courage to do on my own. You created a moment to help women and men get their shit together. So I say, give yourself a high five. Don't wait for someone else to give yourself a high five. Yeah, right? I don't need you to give me a high five when I know I did a good job. So I can just give myself one. But what happens is because we have these conversations and we have these belief systems and maps and stuff, what we tend to own is the opposite. I am shy. I am not self-confident. I am not a morning person. I'm going to do, y'all, I want you to have a podcast or I'm going to do a TED talk on I'm not a morning person. So just as you've made the choice to not be a morning person, guess what? You can be a morning person. So I am not worthy of love. I am whatever it is. And as long as we own those negative things in our life, they will continue to show up for us. They will continue to show up for us. So I'm owning it, right? So just as I've owned that negative, changing the conversation, which is simply in our heads, and making a different choice. Now, 
none of it's easy, right? It's easy to say, but it's not an easy journey. And so since my relationship with him and getting out of it, I have come a long way of saying, I am worthy of boundaries. I am worthy of that. And I am the most amazing person. And, and there are 7 billion people on this planet. 7 billion. Now, maybe I'm not going to date all those men. However, <laughs> there is more than just this one. But in that moment with my ex-husband, I, I just couldn't see that. The other thing that happened is that I chose to keep everything a secret. So how many ladies are listening, and maybe even men, because we're ashamed or because of our belief system or because I've just told the world how great this man is, and all of a sudden he is behaving in a way that doesn't make sense to me. And what I started doing is keeping it a secret. People only knew the good stuff, and they didn't hear the bad stuff. If I had made a decision in that moment, to keep somebody informed, my best friend, my sister, my mother, not my child, y'all. Keep your children out of these relationships. Yes. They don't need that. If I had chosen to keep anybody informed, and Lindsay, you know my friend Caressa, who works with me, and she is just a, she's a badass in a positive way. She would have told me, you are absolutely out of your mind. So here's what started happening and what I was keeping a secret. The first thing that happened was we'd go to dinner and he would give me the silent treatment. This is yet another narcissistic moment. We were at dinner at this nice restaurant and he just stopped talking to me almost in a, in a, almost in a negative way. And I'm, I'm this empowered, self-confident woman. And in that moment, I went to the bathroom, took my phone with me, called my friend Angela, who it wasn't a secret with her, but she was in a different space to give me any coaching on it. And I started crying in the bathroom. So why did I not walk out, get my purse, and say, thank you, no? Right? There are 7 billion people on this planet. Why did I meet him? Well, guess what? He got me hooked. I was hooked by then. And I wanted that feeling that he had given me for so long, which was yeah. just love and and. Um, you're the only person in the world, the most beautiful woman in the world, and all these things. So he knew that he could start being real and his real self, which was this narcissistic person. So I took it. When you came out of the bathroom that day, what did you do? I sat back down and I didn't say a word. I didn't confront him because you know what? My mom never confronted my dad her whole life. My dad mm. was a bit of a bully, not a negative, not like a hit anybody, but he was militant militant. So I watched my mom never say a word to my dad, never talk back and never confront. I've never seen a healthy argument to this day. So I was taught these things. And as I look back on it, that was a big part of my puzzle. So I sat back down, you know, wiping my tears basically and said nothing. And he did that many more times. And he did it. We were married for seven years and he did that over and over and over again. So the other thing is he started yelling. He'd get, so a narcissist, he's has terrible anger issues in, in general. And so he got mad at me. He got mad at me for the stupidest things. He would just yell, like just like mean, nasty. Sam was born. Yeah, I had a baby with this guy. 10 months into, into her being born, I hadn't lost a baby weight. And he called me the C-U-N-T word. He called me fat. He, I mean, y'all, these are things I would never take from someone. No. But here I am. And now I've got a child. So now my conversation was, oh, God, I can't be divorced twice and have a 10-month-old. Everyone thinks he's this great guy. Why did I create a picture that I was all alone? Because I was absolutely not all alone. I was just embarrassed and shamed. Do you think that a lot of women stay with narcissists at that point because they're in that space of feeling like they want to get back to how it used to be, like the good. You know that yummy feeling that you were describing at the beginning where you were so in love and this person was mirroring you and everything that they were doing and saying was everything that you could have ever wanted? Do you feel like if we could only get back to that point, like do you feel like you held on to hope for that? It's exactly 
the, that's the reason why I stay. That's the most, most reason why anyone stays. Yeah. And then eventually you're going to get into a financial situation that feels impossible to get out of. Now I have to have two incomes. I have three kids to feed. You know, I've allowed this to go on so long because I want that feeling back. And I'm telling you, it, it doesn't happen to me, but I've talked to women who are out of it and they know better and they're thrilled, but they long for that feeling still. It's almost like an addiction. I would say it's exactly like an addiction. It is. And it's almost like there's this perfect storm in this moment. And even some of the most powerful women uh, get sucked in because these men know how to read what they're seeing. And they create, it's called love bombing. Look that up. Love bombing. So let me just tell you one little aside. So I'm online dating and I've learned there's scams out there. If they're widowed, they use terrible English and they, they want to just shower you with love in the very beginning. It's, it's bad. Widowed and, and into you is not a good thing because their pictures are perfect because they take them off the internet. But anyway, so I met this guy online. I vetted him. I have a, um, an app called mylife.com. I should make money on it because it's a, it costs money, but you can, you can check on people. Is reputation check, and you can you can do all kinds of checks for like twenty five dollars. So I mean, my what's my life worth, right? I looked this guy up, but he was from Dallas. He drove to Houston. Have y'all watched Dear John, the show no. Dear John? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Dear John is this sort of extreme version of a narcissist and this beautiful, successful woman who got involved. He saw him. I think it was Bravo. So he was very much like that. He came in, not really dressed very nice, had a ball cap on. Uh, I pick him up at the hotel, we go to this restaurant, and on the way to the restaurant, as he gets me to my car, he wants to kiss me right away. And I'm like, I push him away, we go to dinner, bring him back to the hotel. The next morning, he calls me and says, can I come over? I know you live nearby, can I come over? I gotta go. Well, he was supposed to stay all day, he didn't. He comes over, and the first thing he says to me was, I think I love you. I'm in love with him. Whoa. Whoa. Take it easy. Okay. <laughs> right? I think he had done it so much in his life, he just cut to the chase. Like, at least took the time to build this relationship. This guy just wanted to cut to the chase. He felt like, if well, I can tell you I love you, and I kiss really good and I smell nice, that'll be that. So be aware. He was about to start love bombing me. And that's what this guy did for me. And when I got so far that I had a baby, and now I'm in that space, I felt like I couldn't get out. So going back to the front end of this, what did I allow to happen? First off, I didn't have an idea of where my boundaries were. And a boundary means you go there and you stop and you don't move forward, right? I didn't have any of that conversation. And with a 15-year-old daughter, we have great conversations about boundaries. She's starting to date. And these boys are going to put their hands where they want to put them. They're going to want to do things to these girls. And God, by the way, she's got a healthy libido she we talked very candidly about how horny she is and <laughs> god love her and i told her when you're sitting here with me having a very normal conversation you're not in that moment you got to decide how far you're going to go with anybody and what you're allowed to happen let's say you're in a movie theater he starts groping you do you politely stay next to him but push his hands away no you get up you get your phone, you use the Uber app I gave you, if I'm not available, and you get the fudge out of there, mm-hmm. right? We don't empower ourselves to do those things. At that restaurant, in that moment, I can see the restaurant, I, can, I know where it is. I almost want to go back there now. I should have just gotten my purse and said, F you. I am better than this. And just shut the door on him. I don't know what would happen, but I didn't do that. Yeah. And I think with boundaries, when... Initially, when people think of boundaries, we think of what people should be doing or what the expectation is. Like we have certain expectations for how we want people to act and we can't control that. And Jen and I have talked about this many times on the podcast. You can always make a request to someone, but it's up to you on what you're going to do with that. So if they don't act in the way that you think is appropriate, or they are clearly in violation of a boundary, what are you going to do about it? So if you do this, 
I'm going to do this. If you are going to talk to me that way, I'm going to leave. If you touch me this way, I'm going to remove myself. If you are late, then I'm, I'm not going to stay. I'm going to leave myself. You are encroaching on my boundaries. So we need to, I think, be mindful about we can we can have expectations for how we want people to show up. But when when they don't, you know, especially and if it's a violation of our our core values, our safety, our and our well being, you know, what are we going to do in that moment? Yeah, and, and that's exactly the point. When I read about narcissists and women who fall for them, the number one thing that's the thread I can pick up is that they allowed these men and women to step over the boundary. And narcissists do not like boundaries, by the way. No. So you had your own experience. No, I actually have a handful of people in my life who have been with narcissists. So I've gotten to witness from the sidelines kind of how this all unfolds. But it's like when that person, when the girl decides, okay, I need to start employing some boundaries with this person, all hell breaks loose with the narcissist because the narcissist is like, fuck this. I don't play by your rules. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and there could be physical and bodily, you know, safety. I, I never hit me. He did pull me, threw me out of bed and threw me in the bathroom because he thought I was cheating on him, which was ridiculous. But so yeah, they, they do get angry. But the thing is, you're not alone. So so the, the second thing uh, that I allowed is I allowed myself to shut down. And I, I cut everyone out of my life. Everyone, everyone who I knew would have fought me on it and would have told me to get away from them. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't tell them. I absolutely kept it a big old secret. There are people listening who are going to be dating one. So y'all, this is easy for you ladies. Get out. I'll say a thousand more times, there's seven billion people planning to go find another one. You do not deserve to be treated like that in any other situation. If he hadn't gotten you to love him, you would never stand for it. So stop it. Just yeah, stop yeah. it. And call a friend and have them help you, whatever it is you need help with. It is not as bad as the situation you're in. If you're already in the situation, you're already married, there are other, there are other things you may need to do, but telling somebody... And getting help is the first thing. I think some narcissists are so controlling. Like this guy, Dear John, on the Bravo thing that I watched. He was just mean. And she got physically scared of him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially when he attacked her daughter with a knife. But I, I, I'm pretty sure it was real because it actually came through a podcast as well. So the secrecy thing has got, it's got to stop. So if you're in the middle of that right now, ladies, when you're done with this, call your mom. Call someone who you know will help you get out of it. Call the yeah. police if you need to. Yeah, call um, your person. Have a conversation. Start that conversation. Yeah, and so I call that a wingman. So we have habits that we all employ, and I am a creature of habits. And our habits tend to hold us back. And my habit was of pleasing people. I've got friends who I know would never have stood up for this. Just because who they be, and I'm, a proud, I'm proud of them. I'd love to be around them because they're just so, forget it. I'm not doing that. And maybe they're a little overboard, you know, but they're not, they're not going to put up with that stuff. I've got these habits of people pleasing that, um, that are keeping me back. And the thing about a habit is that it's absolutely invisible to me. If it wasn't invisible, if I could see it, it wouldn't be a habit, right? It'd be a, it's a choice. So the only way to, to, get out of the habits you had that you know are holding you back is to have a wingman. And so anything that's holding us back, uh, it could be that I'm in a, a narcissistic relationship. It could be that I want to be healthier in my life and make better eating choices. It may be I want a better job. So who's your wingman? Who do you go to? And maybe the two of you ladies are each other's wingman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, and, and I would think that you've steered each other because there's there's power in twos. There's power in threes. There's a lot more power. Plus, see, we, we women kind of band together. Talk to your wingman. Find one. Get rid of the zeros, I think. Get you some heroes in your life. And get someone who will empower you to be the I am positive. I am self-confident. Instead of the I am not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of anything other than this. And for me, I didn't, I didn't think I wasn't worthy. But somehow I allowed that to be my manifestation because I was so entrenched in this love bombing, mirroring. And there's also this thing called gaslighting. Have you ever heard of gaslighting? Yeah, he did yeah. this a lot. So gaslighting is basically when you know something happened, but they convince you it didn't. 
because it's just the two of you. Mm-hmm. And it came from yeah. an old 1940s movie called Gaslight, where this guy was turning the lights off and on, and it was just the two of them. And he convinced this woman that he wasn't doing that. No, the lights are fine. And she thought she was going crazy. They gaslight right. you, so they, they're telling you things in a different way, and I can't reason with them. Uh, and so that's another thing that employee. And I'm telling you, if I had talked to my friend, Caressa, or my sister, he would, I think she, he may have been dead by now. <laughs> You know, so how did I get out of it? So fast forward with incident after incident, and they're always small. Well, then I had this child, then I started raising the child, and he started pulling away, and you take care of it. You're smart. Figure out who can take care of Sam on this day. I can't be home. Ridiculing me, yelling at me, uh, staying away. He, uh, at one point, got involved in drugs. Uh, just all kinds of behavior. And at some point, I decided I had enough. And then what did I do? I told everybody. I put my foot down. I said, you're not going to do this anymore. I kicked him out of the house. All the things I should have done that day at that dinner table at that restaurant. Mm-hmm. And was that easy or did you struggle? So I was, I think we all can say this out loud and go, I've been there. Something just snapped. Mm-hmm. There was a whole show called Snapped. I didn't kill him. <laughs> yeah. but that shows about killing people, right? But I, I got... I, I Specifically was, I, women killing men. <laughs> yeah, right. I got, I, he, he pushed me and pushed me and pushed me. And finally, I just said, no more. And it took me seven years to say no more. And I'm financially stable enough to kick him out. I didn't need his income. In fact, he was a serial entrepreneur making almost no money. Um, remember the pity thing versus love? Yeah. So mm-hmm. he was still sort of holding on to my, to my whole lifestyle, which is what he wanted. But, you know, it wasn't. It, the, it was hard to tell my parents and hard to tell my sister. And everyone around me said, we knew it. Yep. We absolutely knew it. My friend Caressa says, when you told me that he didn't want to be around your friends because they couldn't do anything to help him, in his career or his, you know, personal fitness. And that's why he wouldn't go to dinner with you. And I knew what, and she says, why didn't you know, Robbie? Why didn't you know? I don't know. I was so enamored with that moment, Jenna, mm-hmm. that I could never get back. Yeah. Cause that moment really never came back. He, it never came back full circle because he didn't need to have it. He didn't need to put all that effort in because it wasn't with him to begin with. So I snapped. And I said, get out of my house, get out of my life, hired an attorney, and then the hell started, y'all. The fight over money and the fight over the houses we had was bad. Gaslighting. Um, There's a whole other podcast, I think, on what I went through. Um, And then I also allowed certain things to happen for way too long, even in that situation financially. So I, I kept replaying the same tape over and over again um, uh, because I was afraid of confrontation. So it goes back to my upbringing. My mother never taught me how to confront. Mm-hmm. My dad did it in a negative way, really. Yeah. It, it wasn't something. So I was probably more emotionally attached to my mom. So I kept harboring that and I kept thinking that confrontation's bad. A lot of people struggle with confrontation just in general. It's a tough thing to do. It is. And even when I know that I'm being sort of tortured in a way, you know, in these negative moments, I didn't choose it. I didn't choose confrontation. And you'll hear me say a lot, the worst thing that could happen is I could die. So all fear is death-based, any fear. Fear of heights, fear of anything is death-based. I'm going to die if I do that or this, you know. So confrontation is not the enemy to my enthusiasm. We can disagree and still be great friends. Yes. You know, I, I don't have to make you wrong for me to be right. I do not. We can both have our own opinion, but it doesn't mean I don't have to push it and for what I believe to so those boundaries. If I had the, the gift or the power to have chosen confrontation oh so many years before, I would have never been in the situation I was in. Yeah. 
but you said that you were in that in that space and you are prone to please and you wanted yes. to please and then he was just you know syncing up with your values showing himself to be the best man for you and all these things and so not only do you want to please him now and you have these strong intense feelings for him but he's put the blinders on and then you want to please him still and I think that's where you know out of out of the story and to share with women like how can we identify some of these red flags early and not let it kind of just build on and then have it implode and then just drag out like because you you had this drag out for a long time and then of course after the divorce so and I think a lot of a lot of people listening to they're like oh you know that wouldn't happen to me and I'm telling you Robbie is a very successful strong energetic just inspirational woman and hearing this you know it breaks my heart a little to know that you went through this because you are such a light and like a lot of people they just want love we all want someone to love someone to love us and those blinders can be put on us and we can just be in a situation where we turn we look around and we're like how the hell did I get here so I'm telling you the number one answer is to tell someone keep the one or two people that you know have your back and would fight to the death for you. My sister is one of them. My friend mm-hmm. Caressa is one of them. And had I told them early on of that night of behavior and going to the bathroom crying, they would have never let me see him again. Find a wingman. The thing is, I knew it was wrong to keep it a secret. That's why I kept it a secret, because I knew it was wrong. I wanted that feeling back. We are humans. I want that. Just like you yeah. said, we're all, I'm searching for that love of my life, that person. And, you know, oh, on Facebook, everyone's got that. Well, no one's got it. You know, the art of getting your shit together means you're getting it together. So we're never going to get there. We're always getting it together, right? And that's the beauty part. If I ever think I've got it, I probably don't, right? There's, it's, a, <laughs> it's always a journey. And so with awareness comes change. And the only way to gain awareness in those moments is to have someone who'll be honest with me and who'll fight for me. So you, you mentioned shame was a big thing for you. Like mm-hmm. that's probably one of the reasons you kept it a secret is the shame yep. and, the, and that feeling of what will they think of me or what all the other negative things that are going through your brain and all the stories you're making up at that point. But what would you say to the women out there who maybe don't have the kind of confidence that you had in the sense that you're like, I'm done, this is over, I'm moving on. And maybe he's the one who's mm-hmm. in the financial, you know, breadwinner of the family. Maybe he, he's got like a lockdown on that. And maybe they just feel like their self-worth is in the complete toilet after going through an experience like this. Like, where do those people turn? How do you, how do you get out of it if you're in that situation where your self-worth is completely in the shitter and he makes all the money? So if I, if I can have that conversation, Jen, if I, can, if I can sit here rationally and say, I'm in a bad spot. I'm involved with a really bad man, yeah. and, I, and he makes all the money. He keeps a roof over my head. I, I'm in a much better space. It's the people who don't even know they need the help is the problem. But if I, if I have that, if I'm smart enough to have that awareness, and I really have no one in my life to turn to, there are so many places to go in Houston, the Houston Women's Center. Uh, Cresta's on the board of that. They will take you in. They will give you shelter. They will give you anything that you need. The United Way of Greater Houston, 311 will get you help. So Brene Brown, I'm sure y'all know mm-hmm. a lot about her vulnerability talks and stuff. She talked a lot about shame and how we women especially take this you know, body shaming and all that to this crazy next level but everyone experiences this and so if I if I believe I'm not alone and I have the courage to just go seek something go drive by a church and walk in and say I need help do you know that I can't even think of a church who would turn you away they would have some ministry to help you it's when we believe we have nowhere to turn which is an absolute lie we're telling ourselves yeah, there is somewhere to turn and it may not be that you have this huge financial waterfall at your feet. There's a way out. Mm-hmm. There just is. And so if I can have an awareness around, I deserve to go find it. 
if I've gotten this far in and I have this great awareness of I'm better than this, have the courage to go to change it. It's a matter of making that decision. Yeah. And there are so many people here who want to help. The shame is the only place that shame exists is in the conversation I'm having about it. Because if I'd have walked up to you, Lindsay, and said, I'm in this really bad situation. Can you help me? The first thing wouldn't have been, man, she's an idiot. I thought she was smarter than this. It wouldn't have been. No. And if it was, I'd go to someone else. But it wouldn't have been. You would have said, let me help you get out of it. What can I do to help? Let's plan. Yeah. And so, and so, I mean, if you want to look up Brene Brown, vulnerability, and shame, um, she was body shamed. Her first TED Talk, if you remember that, was on vulnerability and it went viral. Yes. And so I watched it over and over again. And she started getting body shamed because she's this normal, beautiful woman with curves. And so people were like, you're fat and you're this and that. And so she read, there's a quote by Theodore Roosevelt that basically starts with, it's not the man that stumbled, it's the person who's in the arena whose face is marred with dust and set and wet and blood. And so she said, you know what, when you get on that stage and you're doing a TED Talk to 5 million people, you can tell me how I need to look. Yep. But until then, back off. Exactly. Yeah. It's and so, so I love that quote. In fact, if you um, put a link to it, it's probably Yeah, we'll put a there. link in the show notes I, to like, that. I call it the courage the quote. So sometimes it, it, if I could have read that sooner, I had sought, sought help from anybody sooner, I probably wouldn't have my daughter have a different person. I'd have a different daughter who would, I'd love just as much. But I wouldn't have had this history and I, I'm not ashamed by it. I'm not. I made an absolute choice for what was in front of me, and I wanted love. And I'm. no one should be ashamed of it. Yeah. And I love what you said earlier, like, just about looking up the backgrounds. And it was just a little snippet about that. But what is your life worth, right? And even if you feel it's going to be a state where you're going to feel desperate and you're not going to be financially stable, you're going to be in a situation or, or even a shelter where you – have a lot of feelings about whether you feel less than, or I can't, you know, I can't go there, but what is your life worth? Right. Mm -hmm. There's transitions through everything. And even if it's not ideal, then there is hope in the long game, right? You will Mm -hmm. get to where you need to be because what is your life worth long-term and, you know, and, and especially if there's children involved, how are we showing up for them and what are we replicating for them to be a healthy relationship, a healthy lifestyle and how can that, and and the impact that that has to them long-term as well. We are not victims to anything, ladies. We are not victims. And when I start, you know, if I'm not a morning person, well, guess what? Someone told you when you were three years old, you woke up grumpy and a little, you know, pissy and they said, gosh, she's not a morning person. And then you owned it. And it's a big old lie. I'm not a victim to not being a morning person. I'm not a victim to anything because I am a product of my choices. I'm also a product of my upbringing. So understanding my mom gave what she had to give. So don't get me wrong. I love this woman. I'm grateful to God every day she's in my life. And she gave me what she had to give. What I do with that now is my choice. I'm not a victim to what she taught me. I have an awareness around it. And my, one of my favorite sayings is, who you be, they'll become. So how I'm behaving today is how I'm empowering my daughter. And it's not what I say as much as what I do and who I be. Who I be, she'll become. I'm a product of it with my mom. And she gave what she had to give. And now I get to do with it whatever I want to do with it. So we're not a victim to, to what we, the situation we're in because we've made choices always look in the mirror and own it. The, yes. That's the that's the answer, Jenna. The minute I look in the mirror and I say, I own where I'm at, so I own getting out of it. Yeah. If, I'm, if I believe I'm a victim to him or a victim to her, if she's the narcissist, I won't get out of it. I won't have the capacity to do it. When I look in the mirror every day and say, I own how I behave today. I own what I teach my daughter and how I show her to be teaching her about boundaries. Madonna's love this said, people don't get what they want because they don't ask for what they want. My child is afraid to ask for what she wants. I've taught her that. I can see what I've done. She's afraid to just talk to a teacher about a grade and a, well, mom, I'm afraid. What's he going to say? Nothing. 
and we went on, to, we went to Australia recently, Airbnb, the refrigerator didn't work. And I said, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask for $25 a day back because we were going to have breakfast. I couldn't use the refrigerator. We were going to have, I was going to have wine. I couldn't have that. Anyway, I could have just had red wine, but I wanted white wine. Um, <laughs> so whatever. And so she's like, oh, mom, you don't, you don't do that. And so I'm like, oh my God, I've created this. So asking for what I want is not confrontation that's bad, right? So I just said, hey, love the Airbnb. Refrigerator didn't work. Can you give me $25 back a day? He said, absolutely. Gave me a refund. People don't get what they want because they don't ask for what they want. And what is the worst that can happen? They because they know. So what? I'm not going to die. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't ask, then you're just constantly thinking about it. Oh, I should have asked. I should have, it would have been what could have happened if I would have asked. And then it's yes. just unnecessary drama that you've created within your own mind. Yeah. And so that's an opportunity miss. So you miss all the opportunities. You, you miss all the shots you don't take. You know, we've heard all these things miss basketball stars. It all boils down to the same thing in our lives. What stops me in my tracks is when I believe I don't have any control. Right. Mm -hmm. I am always in control, whether I feel like it or not. And the minute I look in the mirror and say, I, I own this mess I created, it's a mess. It is a mess. I'm in a bad spot. I'm in a, got a roof over my head I can't afford. I've got three kids I, 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 I can't feed without him. I created this. I get to get myself out of it. And when I start owning that, then I can do something about it. Yes. And, and then, by the way, hopefully having someone who, around me who will support me absolutely helps as well so that yes. wingman is clear because i got these crazy bad habits so an executive for a company tell me one day robbie you are such a pleaser you uh-huh people mm -hmm, mm, mm, mm -hmm. so in meetings when someone else was talking i would uh-huh them i would moan because you're <laughs> moaning in a meeting mm -hmm, mm, mm. he was my wingman and I told him, please give me feedback in a moment when you see something. So after the meeting, he pulls me aside. He tells me that I'm moaning in the meeting, in a business meeting. And I had no idea I was doing it. None. So I had a wingman. I was open to the feedback. I didn't hear his criticism. I didn't feel judged. He just gave me information that I can do with it what I want. So I changed it. Caressa gives me information all the time about my pronouns, my company. I work here too, Robbie. It's our company. You know, whatever it is, <laughs> have a wingman who doesn't sugarcoat stuff with you and who will call you on your habits and call you on your shit because you got to get your shit together, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, so, I, think, I think it's also important to give yourself some grace in the situation where when you do feel that shame monster creeping up, when you think... I love how you're like, this was a mess. This is a situation that I created and I have to get myself out of it. Some people could say, this is a mess that I created and I am now a bad person. And then the shame shit storm comes up and you just f sink further and further into victimhood and shame. And that is not helpful. So you are not a bad person. A bad thing happened that you allowed and that you now can get out of. Good point. There's a different way of framing... Because there's so many people, and, and I think, too, like culturally, we're, as women, kind of meant, we, we have these patterns, whether we're learned from our parents or culture, that, you know, you stay quiet, you please people, you shut your mouth and do what you're told, and, you know, you know like a lot of that seen is, and not heard. Exactly. A lot of that is what we experience just in general. I love how you're like, I asked for a refund on this fridge because it wasn't working. I know like there's been situations where I'll say something to my husband. I'll be like, I asked for this, this, and this. And he's like, you did? What? And I'm like, what do you mean what? Like, yeah, of course I did. So it's almost like what's frowned upon when we stick up for ourselves in a cultural perspective. We got to get over that. Mm -hmm. Like we're, we are now at the helm and we can rewrite this shit. And we don't need to be put into any place by anyone else. Yeah, and not to think that you know, I, I created this, now I have to live with it. No, you can still change it. Oh, absolutely. Well, and, and a couple other, so you just said I had to live with it. So the words that we choose have power. Yes. When yes. I start using words like I have to stay here, I have to go work out, I have to eat right. No, you don't have to do anything. You do not have to do quit doing that. I get the opportunity. I am not a victim to that. You said the word grace. God, I love that word. And I always say, be kind to yourself. 
be kind to yourself because you failed in that moment. You are not a failure. No. The quote that you read, winners lose a lot more often than losers lose. If I'm not out in the game, I'm not going to lose because I'm on the sidelines doing nothing yeah. to, get, to get out of that situation. When I make the choice to get in the game, I'm going to lose. That path may not work. Maybe the Women's Center doesn't have room for me. Maybe that church won't help me. Maybe United Way isn't the right place. That didn't work. It failed. I'll go over here to find something else that will work because, you know, you look at all these successful people. They weren't successful overnight. Yeah, They no. failed and failed and failed. And when I pick myself back up, Jenna, and find grace and, and find a way to be kind to myself and celebrate that crazy-ass person that I am, give myself this big old high five because I know I've done a good job, then the whole world changes. When I get mired in that self-pity, sometimes it's when I don't put my makeup on, I stay in bed all day. I feel bad. And the minute I get up, get showered, get my makeup on, get my hair done and walk out the door, I feel, man, I feel better. We get, can be sucked down in that stuff. So you're not going to let each other do that. My mom who lives with me now, my daughter's not going to let me do that. I've got wingmen all over my life now have cultivated. And you don't have to be 54 to get your shit together. You can be 25 and still have the same self-confidence that I'm having in this moment. And I, I, I gift it to you, ladies. It is yours to own. Just go take it because it's your choice and yours alone. Look in the mirror right now and say, I got this shit. And go change the world. I don't care if you're 20, if you're 18, or if you're 80. It is never too late to start. Agree. We always say it's never too late to get your shit together. I love it. <laughs> and we're, we're, it's an art. I love it. It is an art for sure. It is an art. Sometimes it's a masterpiece and sometimes it's dog shit. <laughs> it is, but it's my dog shit and it's beautiful to me. And if that approach didn't work, I'm going to change it. If the approach you're using isn't working, change it. I mean, what's the definition of insanity? The same thing over and over again. Yes. I'm doing it, expecting a different result. So do something different. Change your approach. Oh, well, thank you for sharing your personal story and sharing the actionable steps on changing the story that you're telling yourself because the most important conversation we ever have is the one with ourselves because it's with us all day. It's driving our behavior. Yes. And then getting your wingman and just making that choice to make the change and giving yourself the grace to acknowledge it and move on. Absolutely. And if you have a few more moments, Robbie, we'd love to take you through our final five questions that we ask every guest on our podcast. Yes, I'm ready. And the first one is? Oh, the first one is, so Mark Manson wrote about the shit sandwich, which means basically that everything sucks some of the time. You could be doing your dream job and no matter what, something is going to suck about it. You're going to have a boss that might be shitty or you might have a coworker that sucks, whatever it is. We all have a shit sandwich with the things that we are passionate about and love to do. So what is your shit sandwich? <laughs> we all, and usually we have more than one, but what's... What's your favorite shit Man, sandwich? Man, I wanted, I wanted to give you ways that I, I get over it. but uh, Well, you could give that too. Well, so my, my shit sandwich right now is I got a new department. I've got a brand new department. And so I, I say I'm playing like a rookie because I am brand new to this stuff. And it's got a process that's sort of broken and it's shitty, y'all. And so I worked, and I'm not a martyr about it, but I'm going to tell you, the last three nights until 1030, doing stuff that anybody else could have done. But I had a lot of reasons why I did it. I won't do it forever. So that's the shit. But here's the deal. I believe in being outcome-focused and benefit-driven. My outcome is not this shit moment at 10 o'clock at night. My outcome is to redefine how our company does a very important piece of our business. That's a big goal. My goal for my fitness is to be around my daughter's children. That's a much bigger goal. So eating the donut may be good for now, but I'm not going to go eat the box every day, right? So I have this shit sandwich. I'm living, living it right now. But I still am energized in the moment because it's shitty, but I got a much bigger goal and it's yeah. exciting to me. So if I focus on this moment, I'm going to, I'm going to may lose that, but I focus on the much bigger picture and had that outcome and know the benefits. It's easy to get through the shit. I love that. Elizabeth Gilbert wrote in the book, Big Magic. That's actually where I was introduced to the concept of a shit sandwich because she talks about how as a writer, 
some people want to be writers, but they don't want the shit sandwich of being a writer that is writing (laughs) and sitting down and actually writing. She said she worked with somebody who was a writer and they would, they were a martyr about it. They were always, it was like, oh, this is just terrible. And oh, I have to sit down and do these, these words and blah, blah, blah. She's like, and I was looking at him like, if you don't want that shit sandwich, can I eat it? (laughs) (laughs) funny. My editors want me. You have an editor? What? If and you're again, not going to eat that, I'll eat it. <laughs> and again, she said, I have to. I have to write. No, you don't. Quit yeah, being yeah. a victim to shit. Exactly. I'll, I'll stop that right away. None of this have to business. Okay. The second one is, what are your personal top three values? Oh, wow. Um, God, they just sound so trite. Integrity, but obviously being honest up front, being a positive if it's a value, I think it's a value. Positivity, looking at the glass half full, finding the positive in everything. It is possible to be positive every minute of every day. It really absolutely is. And I guess a value is courage as well. Knowing that I have everything I need within me to face the fear of whatever it is, but having the courage to move forward anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's good. I love that. What is a quote that, and you've given us like 500 quotes throughout this whole <laughs> interview, which is awesome, but what's a quote that you think of often and maybe live your life by? It, it, it's ever evolving, right? Mm-hmm. So my favorite one I mentioned, and you know, it's crazy that Madonna said it, is people don't get what they want because they don't ask for what they want. And my, all my paradigms, my map of the world has created a woman who has more fear around asking for what I want than I should. What I know is that I can do it anyway because I'm going to mm-hmm. feel the fear and do it anyway. So people don't ask for what they want. People don't get what they want because they don't ask for what they want. That's my, yes. my new fave. I love it. Such a good one. Mm-hmm. All right, Robbie, what is your favorite failure? Man, um, there's so many to choose from. Lindsay. <laughs> uh, well, life's a journey, and I don't regret what happened with but my biggest failure is not the marriage. It's not choosing me in the first moment when he crossed that boundary. That's my biggest failure because it it changed the entire trajectory of my life in a positive way, but it was dark. That was the shit sandwich too. It was dark. And uh, when I was alone or made myself alone, uh, it it created a bad, a, a bad situation. So that moment at that restaurant, when I had the, an opportunity to get out before anything ever started, I didn't choose it. That's the, my greatest failure. Yeah. And typically, our last question, um, a lot of people that come on here, they have websites or, or and social media handles for people to follow them. But if, if, you're, if you don't want to share that, I understand. Mm-hmm. Or if there's a resource that you would want people to know about, what would you what would you share? Either how can people find you and connect with you? Or what resource would you want to share with our listeners about even the topics today? Man, um, I'm, I'm, I'm evolving, right? So I'm working on, I have a, I'm interested in writing a book called I'm on a Morning Person. I do a lot of public speaking, but I don't have, I don't have a website. I don't have any of that stuff. So Lindsay, you're going to help me with that. I'm going to ask you to help me. Um, so I'm going to give you my email, robbiepoppy at gmail.com. R-O-B-B-I-E-P-A-P-E at gmail.com. I am, I am on your team and I'll be your wingman if you need me. Uh, the other thing is there's a book um, by Mel Robbins. I love what Mel Robbins writes always, but she wrote um, the five second rule. Yes. You have five seconds. To, and it's this human phenomenon and, and we know what to do, but we don't do it. So take that five seconds and do the thing you know you should do. She wrote, and also listen to anything Brene Brown writes or says, look at Brene Brown. If you've never seen her vulnerability podcast, I learn it, know it, be it. Perfect. I will link all of her book links and okay. that TED Talk in the show notes, Perfect. Um, as well as Mel Robbins. We, Jen and I, love Brene. Um, I'm hoping to get certified in her Dare to Lead program <gasps> next year, so that will be fantastic. So lots awesome. to share on that. Yeah, yeah, good job. And John Maxwell, always great, too. Mm-hmm. So many good leadership and mm-hmm. accountability and just ways to show up in all of his work. So yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, uh, you're it's so I loved it. 
I know your time is valuable and I just adore the time that we sp get to spend together and so glad that you got to meet my wingman, Jenna. I did too. <laughs> Thank you. Nice to see you, Jenna. Heard yeah, so y'all have about a lot you. to say. Oh, well, I hope it's all good. <laughs> and course. I look forward to, um, to more. I'm, I'm here to support you guys and, and hopefully you'll do the same too. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. The Art of Getting Your Shit Together is produced and edited by LD Coaching and Blush Cactus Boutique Design Studio. We would love it if you'd head over to iTunes and subscribe, leave us five stars, and write a quick review. If you enjoy this podcast, share it with your friends so that we can continue to grow our tribe. Tag us on Instagram at tagist underscore podcast with your shares, and we'll feature you on our story. Don't forget to grab our free guide, five things you can do right now to get your shit together and start living your best life over at tagus.com slash kick more ass. Remember, your life only gets better when you decide to grow and it's never too late to get your shit together.